Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, it's so good to be back. After six weeks of you know difficult ordeal of going through the slow process of recovery, after a major ACL reconstruction on my right knee, and my physio and my surgeon was like, I am actually one week ahead of schedule with my recovery. Week five, I was walking without crutches, so that's really, really good. And I want to thank uh, everyone that have prayed for me, that have sent messages of encouraging messages and and personal visits while I was recovering. And I really uh, thank you all for that. It was it was challenging time doing even the simple things, you know, like making myself a cup of coffee and going to the toilet and picking up something from the ground. And it was really, really difficult. And it made me appreciate the little and simple things in life. I just didn't realize and I didn't want to take those things for granted. And, uh, and so in spite of all those challenges and having a lot of time of reflection and, and reading and a lot of watching the news and TV, and so I'm fully aware of what's going on, uh, uh, my heart was actually filled with gratitude to the Lord for all the good things that He has done for me in my life and in my family. So I praise God for that. So tonight we come to the conclusion of our series from the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And we will look into the seventh church that Jesus was addressing as recorded in Revelation. The church of Laodicea. So now, have you been paying attention? I would like to ask a volunteer without googling. Who can name the seven churches that we've been preaching about in the last six weeks? And this week, of course, the seventh week. Raise your hand. Who can tell me the names of the seven churches? We've got Simon there. Come on, Simon. Stand up. Come on. Name the seven churches. Yes. Yep. Yes. Wow. He was really paying attention, and I've got here a Lint Raspberry Intense for you, Simon. Come up here. Come on. And you can share this with you. Ask him to share it with you. All right? <laughs> it shows Simon's paying attention, and I really hope that all of you have been paying attention to our series because it has been a fantastic series so far. Now, the book of Revelation is addressed to the seven churches in Asia Minor. It is not certain why, in particular, they were addressing these seven churches. There were other churches around the region, which were of equal importance. But one Bible scholar has argued that the churches in Asia Minor had gradually evolved into an organization of seven groups. And that the center of each of them stood the seven churches to which John writes. The seven cities were located on the great circular road that abound together the most populous, the most wealthy, influential part of that province. Other scholars feel that the number seven was chosen intentionally because it represented completeness and perfection. In Judaism, seven has a special significance because of the Sabbath Sabbath being on the seventh day. And the sabbatical year, 7 times 7 equals 49. And on the 50th year, they actually celebrate the year of Jubilee. In Genesis, we know that God rested from all His works on the seventh day. So in a way, 
seven is God's number. And we can see that there are the seven churches situated and located in that part of the world. No doubt there are important lessons that, that we can learn from each of these churches. And if you read very carefully in each of the letter to these churches, you will discover that there is a common thread that goes through from uh, the church in Ephesus all the way through the church in Laodicea. And one of the common thread is this, that it is Jesus addressing the church. It is Jesus speaking and John is just the messenger. And so tonight we'll be looking at the church of Laodicea being the seventh church addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. And, and I want to establish to you tonight that when Jesus was addressing these churches, he wasn't talking to them as if he did not know what he was talking about. Why? Because in the affirmation of Peter with the revelation that he had about Jesus in Matthew, he actually said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said after that, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. And then he went on by saying that on this rock, it means on the basis of this revelation, Peter, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What better person can address the church other than the founder himself? What better person to address the issues of the church other than the very foundation of the church? And that is why it is very important for us to stay connected with Jesus in what we do and how we do it as God's representative to this world. And so tonight I want to share with you a message called Repent and Live Passionately. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to encourage you to open it with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And we will be reading from verse 14 to 22. And it will be read to us by Jasmine. All right, thank you. Revelation 3, 14 to 22. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes. So you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thank you, Jess. I, can just, uh, I just want to show you the map of Laodicea. Laodicea is actually located in what is now known modern-day Turkey, which is that part of the Middle East where the Black Sea above it and then the Mediterranean across, the Mediterranean Sea at the bottom. And our text tonight shows the, the very statement, which is really the conclusion of everything that has been said about God. 
In verse 14, it says, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. In the Old Testament, Amen means an acknowledgement of that which is valid and binding. Amen also means, so be it, let it be done, or let it be so, Lord. That's what Amen represents. This actually represents the trustworthiness of Christ, which is a direct contrast to the unfaithfulness of the church in Laodicea. And tonight I want to share with you three important aspects that are being described in this passage as Jesus was addressing the church in Laodicea. The first aspect is the the condition of the church. Jesus wanted to highlight the true condition of the church in Laodicea. And we can find that in verse 15 to 17. He said, I know your deeds. In other words, you can't even run away from me because I know what you are doing. I know what you have done. Nothing is hidden from the Lord. Jesus was saying to the church, That he sees everything. Their lives, their church, their ministry are in full view of the eyes of the sovereign God. His personal assessment of them as a church was not very good. You know, because he was able to see their level of zeal and passion that they have for God and his kingdom. Church, it would be so ignorant and naive of us to think that the Lord does not know what we do. That the Lord doesn't know what we do here in church corporately. And that the Lord doesn't know what we do personally and individually in our private lives. Why? Because nothing is hidden from the Lord. In fact, from the very first church in Ephesus, this is another common thread that he's been saying to the church. I know your deeds. I know who you are. I know what you are doing. I know what you have done. Nothing. It's crystal clear before God. And then his assessment of their passion and zeal is that he said, I know you. You are neither hot nor cold. That really describes that level of zeal and passion. You know, Laodicea's major weakness was its lack of adequate and convenient source of water. Its location has been determined by the road system rather than natural resources. Therefore, water had to be brought in from the neighboring springs nearby, six miles to the south through a system of stone pipes approximately three feet across and hallowed through the middle. And such aqueduct can actually easily be cut off, leaving the city helpless, especially during the dry season. Now, this really reminds me of Singapore-Malaysia tension. How many, how many of you are aware of that? That Malaysians always brag and say, we can actually turn the tap off to Singapore. Because they get their water from Malaysia. The supply of Singapore's water is from Malaysia. And, uh, and in my recent trip to Singapore, they were saying that by, I think, by 2069, that deal is finished. And so Singapore is now preparing when the time comes when Malaysia turn its tap off and cut off that water supply. But the Singaporeans are very smart. They have already invested in at least three desalination plants. That when that happens, they can actually, they're quite happy to let that go. And that's kind of like the the situation in Laodicea. So water had to go through that. 
Six miles north of Lycus across is the city of Herapolis, famous for its hot springs, rising from within the city and flowed across a wide plateau and spilled over the lake directly opposite Laodicea. And so when Jesus was talking about hot and cold, the people can actually understand what he was referring to because they are familiar with it. They use it. They enjoy it, the hot springs. You see, the word hot used in this passage is in Greek is called zestos, which means boiling point. And, and the Greek word used for cold is sokros, which means point of freezing. Jesus said to the church, you are neither hot nor cold. In other words, their zeal, their passion, and their love was either hot or cold. It's either really hot for some people or really cold for others. Do you know that, that hot is, is really nice? You know, hot chocolate and sticky date pudding and, and extra hot latte and pumpkin soup on a cold winter's night. Beautiful. I love it. And do you know that cold is also refreshing and satisfying? Iced coffee, ice cream, ice, ice chocolate, mango smoothie on a 35 degree heat. There is nothing I desire at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a hot day to go, I just want an iced coffee. Hot is nice. Cold is refreshing. What is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? What's the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat? Thermometer measures the temperature of the room and the environment and the atmosphere. It cannot change the temperature of the room. It only measures. It only tells you the temperature of the room. Whereas a thermostat controls and regulates temperature in the room. In other words, if you want it to be hot, the thermostat will go and adjust according to what you've adjusted it to. If you want it cold, you can adjust it and it will go cold. And so when it gets really hot, it will just go down and bring the temperature down. Therefore, it has the ability to regulate and control temperature. And that is the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. But the question that, that Jesus is really asking here about temperature, about their zeal and their passion is, what kind of a Christian are you? Are you a thermometer Christian that you're just happy to measure temperature? You don't really care whether it will affect other people? Or are you the kind of Christian who's a thermostat that is actually has the ability to intentionally control when, when, when your love and your zeal and your passion is starting to go away or fade, you can actually control and say, I'm not going to stay in this place. This is enough. I'm moving on. That is a thermostat Christian. Quite, not, not happy to stay in the status quo. Able to regulate, able to control up and down depending on the situation. And you are, have the capacity to increase your zeal and your passion for the things of God. But then Jesus, because you are lukewarm, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. In other translations, it says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. A lot of people think that lukewarm is actually the middle ground, you know, the in-between. But if, you, if we actually look at it, Jesus was addressing hot, cold, lukewarm. Is lukewarm middle ground? 
hot, cold, lukewarm. Is lukewarm middle ground? No. It is actually the bottom. It is actually the lowest ground that you can have and you can be. You see, the cliff that's described in this, uh, the, the situation in this region is like the cliff is about 300 feet high and about a mile wide and covered with a wide incrustation of calcium according to ancient records, calcium carbonate, and it formed a natural phenomenon as the hot mineral laden water traveled across the plateau. It gradually became lukewarm before cascading over. So the water is not hot anymore, other than it is becoming lukewarm. And the word lukewarm here is called kliaros in Greek, which means things that have a nauseating effect that makes you feel nauseous and makes you want to vomit. I remember soon after my surgery, I had general anesthetic and I I had very strong painkillers. And when I was taken to my room at about 12.30 midday, from 12.30 in the afternoon until 9 a.m. the next day. The anesthetic and the strong antibiotic and painkiller was making me nauseous and dizzy to the point that I cannot open my eyes. When I open it, the room just moves and it makes me want to vomit. And I said to Janelle, uh, if you want to talk to me, just keep talking to me and I'll just keep my eyes closed because I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel sick. Now, the word described here in lukewarm is like that. Things that makes you feel you want to vomit. How many of you have accidentally drank your coffee on the side of your desk while working, not realizing that it has become lukewarm? Can you, ima- can you remember that feeling? It, it, is, it is horrible. It is, it is disgusting. It is yuck. It is it's like, ugh. Your immediate response was like, oh, because it's not hot anymore. And that's the kind of feeling, and multiply that probably 10 times, and that's, I believe, probably how the Lord feels about the level of zeal and passion of the church in Laodicea. The church in Laodicea was providing neither refreshment for the spiritually weary, nor healing of the spiritually sick, making them distasteful to the Lord. That was the condition. They have become lukewarm, perhaps apathetic, perhaps complacent. They have become lazy. They have become just being contented. They're not wanting to have more. Hot, God can employ and release them in his service. Cold, he could work among them and kindle a flame to get a few coals burning and they will be hot again. Lukewarm, they have become worthless, distasteful, sickening before God, lacking in enthusiasm, zeal, passion, and conviction, and ultimately losing their sense of effectiveness in the kingdom of God. Our focus as followers of Jesus Christ must always be on Jesus himself his cause and his kingdom and serve him with passion and with zeal. I wonder how he feels about our church. I wonder how he feels about you and me. You know, there are things and experiences in life that probably will make us feel lukewarm with our faith. I've had numerous experiences like that that I could have used to say, I have become lukewarm because of this, 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 and this. 
At about age 11, my father died. At about 26, my mother died. Two years after my father died, my brother-in-law, who was the senior pastor of my home church, died. When we were in Africa, Janelle nearly died. When we were in Africa, Gabby nearly died. When we were in Zambia, we had uh, malaria as a family eight times. And then we had jardiasis ten times as a family. And when I look back about that, I would look at this and go, those are enough reasons for me to become lukewarm about my zeal and my passion for God. But you know what? One thing I know and I can share with you. God has never failed me. God has never failed me. I could have used any of those as reasons to drift away and leave behind and forget the things of God. But God has remained faithful in my life. Another thing that Jesus was addressing here about the condition of the church in Laodicea is their self-sufficiency in verse 17. He said, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing in verse 17. Well, Laodicea at that time was the center of banking, a center of dyed wool, and a center for this eye salve that Jesus was talking about as well. In Roman times, Laodicea became the wealthiest city in Phrygia. The fertile ground of the Lycos Valley provided good grazing for sheep. By careful breeding, it says, a soft, glossy black wool had been produced, which was in much demand and brought fame to the region. Agricultural and commercial prosperity brought banking industry to Laodicea. And the most striking indication of Laodicea's wealth was that following the devastating earthquake in AD 60 during the reign of Nero, Laodicea arose from the ruins by his, the strength of their, her own resources and wealth with no help from Rome. Now, let, let me show you a photo of the remains of Laodicea and it will indicate and it will tell you that it was an affluent church, that it was a wealthy church. And and when you look at just the columns of that and the, the remains of the structure of the building will tell you this was an affluent church. And because of their affluence, they have also developed this attitude of self sufficiency, hindering their dependence on God. And so Jesus Address them by saying, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of anything. We are so rich, we don't need anything. We have everything at our fingertips. We have acquired wealth and we don't need any support and any help at all. And you know, Jesus was not really pleased with that. And he highlighted that very uh, characteristic of the church in Laodicea. You see, if we are not careful, we too can fall into the trap of self-sufficiency. Not just individually, but as a church. That we have everything we need. I remember when we went to Canavan as a family, and we attended a small church there in a service. And they had one guitarist, one worship leader. No, not even guitarist, just one worship leader. And they were singing Uh, along on a karaoke, sing-along of their praise and worship. Very sincere in their worship. And, And I look at that and I go, wow. I think we are so spoiled. We have it every week. When we had the opportunity of traveling to Zambia, but during our time there, we visited churches with no bands. And if there is, they have a drum kit and maybe a guitarist. And the drum kit only had one cymbal with a crack in the middle, and they still use it. 
And you know, sometimes when, when we look at the facilities that the Lord has blessed us with, it is so easy for us to think that we have it all together and become self-sufficient in our attitude and become self-functioning churches apart from Jesus and apart from His Holy Spirit. The second aspect I want to share with you tonight is the call of the church in Laodicea. In verse 18, Jesus said, I counsel you, I advise you, I want you. He said, to buy from him, buy from him. God's offer of salvation is free, but there is a cost. It requires us to respond, to persevere, and to endure. This is a strong call from the Lord Jesus to buy from him, to get something from him, and to invest something. Because when you buy something, you invest, you put in. You don't just buy something without paying in return, yeah? You don't buy a thing without putting something in in exchange for what you want to buy. And Jesus was basically saying, I want you to leave your self-sufficiency and realize that you actually have nothing. And I want you to buy from me. Buy from him is the call that Jesus had for the church in Laodicea. Buy what? Invest what? Invest our lives. Invest our talents. Invest our resources for the things of God. Jesus is asking the church in Laodicea. He said, I want you to buy from me gold refined by fire. And you know, if we look at scripture, faith is described as a gold that is being refined by fire. What is Jesus saying here? He's actually saying, I want you to have If you buy anything, I want you to have genuine faith. I want you to have genuine faith. The kind of faith that is like gold refined by fire. There there, there is a call to have a genuine faith. In 1 Peter 1.7 it says, These have come so that proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The kind of faith that Jesus desires is a growing faith that is able to sustain you through the best and the worst of times in your life. Billy Graham said this, That the greatest legacy one person can pass on to one's children and grandchildren is not money or other material things accumulated in one's life. But rather a legacy of character and faith. As a pastor, if there is anything that I want to see in people's lives, it will be an increase in their faith in God. A growing, thriving, flourishing kind of faith. That will enable people to persevere and endure. And, and have the ripple effect of that same faith. That has the ability to impact the world around them. But the problem is people's faith are starting to become lukewarm. People's faith are starting to fade away. And one of the indications of that is the number of churches that are closing down in our nation. There was an article in the Herald Sun a few years ago. It's called the shrinking churches. He said shrinking congregation. It said shrinking congregations that have led to the closure of 145 Victorian churches since 2009. And the Uniting Church has sold about 74 churches across Australia. Two weeks ago we went to Swanbourne. 
And the, the last time we were there, there used to be an Anglican church in Swanbourne here in Perth. And when we went there about three weeks ago, the church was gone. And I said to our friends, what happened to the church there? Oh, they've demolished the church. They have shut down because there are no more people going there. And so now the land is being subdivided into three blocks. And they're costing 900000 each to buy in Swanbourne. What a sad ending to a church. Another call that Jesus wanted to emphasize here is that the call to be clothed in Christ in order to cover our shame and nakedness. In the Old Testament, nakedness was a sign of defeat, judgment, and poverty. And in Isaiah 61.10, it said, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Galatians 3.27, it says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus have clothed yourselves with Christ. And Jesus was saying to the church, I want you to clothe yourself of me and with me. Clothe yourself with Christ. Put on the garments of Jesus. You see, the word put on is not a random incident in your life. When you choose to wear clothes, you choose intentionally. There is an element of choice and say, this is what I want to wear. And you put it on. You put on the effort to put it on you. You don't just go, I want to change. And you just stand there and boom, automatic. You just get changed. The call of Jesus is be intentional and clothe yourself with Christ. And the fourth thing that Jesus was calling them to do is to have the spiritual eyes to see removing anything that hinders them to see see verse 18 is talking about this salve to put on their eyes so you can see one of the things that Laodicea was famous was the production of an eye ointment which was exported around the world and therefore people were actually familiar of this metaphor that Jesus was using But Jesus is not talking the actual eye ointment that they produce in Laodicea. Jesus is talking about having our spiritual eyes open to be able to see what God is doing. To be able to see the things of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says, However it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no man has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. We have not seen anything yet God has a lot that he wants to do in our lives and the final significant aspect being addressed here is the cure for the church first the condition the second is the call and the third aspect that Jesus was addressing here is the cure from God for the church in verse 19 one of the cure that God has For his church was his rebuke and discipline in verse 19. Those I love, I rebuke. The Greek word used in in this uh, verse is called elegcho or elegko. Which means to expose and thereby to heal and correct. In other words, God's purpose of disciplining you is not to inflict pain. Is not to make your life miserable. But rather to heal and to restore and to correct Amen? 
It is not to inflict pain and so that you will live miserable lives. He wants to restore. He wants to heal. And he wants to um, correct you. This is the word here. Elego means to heal, to restore, and to correct. Rather than inflict pain for the sake of inflicting pain. And making your life miserable. He said, because I love you, I am going to discipline you. And I am disciplining you because I love you. Isn't that a beautiful cure? Isn't that a wonderful promise that God has? And the second cure is that he said, be earnest and repent wholehearted repentance. There is a a recurring insistence throughout the seven churches uh, in the letters here, not just for unbelievers to repent, but for believers to repent and return to their first love in the the church of Ephesus in chapter 2 of Revelation. And return to the Lord for stability and joy and wholeness. That is the kind of repentance, a lifestyle kind of repentance is required. And that's what Jesus was talking about here. The word to be zealous is from the same Greek word hot, which is zestos. When he said, be earnest, be zealous, and repent, he means be zestos. Be, be at a point of boiling points in your repentance and, and in your zeal for God. That is exactly the same word used in verse 15. Knowing and serving God must be a flaming passion and a lifestyle of every believer. And another cure that God's promise and offer is in verse 20. His love And his grace. God's love and grace. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, notice the personal element here. The person, the church, must respond and open the door. This is the the covenant aspect of God's invitation. That you must receive it. You must accept it. You must open the door. And therefore have that intimacy and relationship with God in the covenant That he has promised to all of us. He takes the initiative. He sets the agenda. We respond to it. And if you notice in this verse. It's actually used sometimes in the wrong context of evangelism. But verse 20 is an expression and manifestation of God's love and grace for the church in Laodicea. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It did not say, if anyone hears my knocking. Did it say that? He said, if anyone hears my voice. Now we know for a fact, even in our culture today, that when you go to someone's house and you knock, it is always followed with a verbal greeting. Amen? You go, knock, knock, knock. Hello? Is anyone there? It's always followed. You just go, knock, knock, knock. And maybe if you're a bit creepy, you don't say anything. But that's normal. When you knock, knock, knock. Hello, is anyone here? Are you home? Anyone home? It's always followed with a greeting. And I believe that when Jesus said, if anyone hears my voice, that voice is the invitation. That Jesus was saying, you on the other side of this door, I'm knocking at the door. And if you open, I will come in. In other words, Jesus' desire for the church in Laodicea was actually to restore and show love and compassion. That even with his very strong rebuke that I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, there was still an element of grace in verse 20. He has not vomited them out. He said, I am about to vomit you out of my mouth. But verse 20 reflects the love, the grace, and the compassion of God. Giving them 
a chance to go open the door. If anyone hears, if I am knocking at the door, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, he said, I will come in. That is the grace of God. You know, the, the, this metaphor of the door is so powerful. Because we need to make that choice on a regular basis and say, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm going to open my life to you. I'm going to open the door of my life to you. And when we do so, it will rekindle the fire in our hearts. And finally, the cure is God's reward in verse 21. Wow, isn't that incredible? We can't wait to have the prize in any competition. Verse 21, it says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me, which is the seat of honor and authority. This is such a powerful image of intimate fellowship, inclusion, and victory. The promise of God to reign with Christ in eternity. It is wonderful to know that God has already overcome. Jesus is already victorious. He has done all the work. All we have to do is just to respond. This should motivate us to have the zeal and the passion to live for God. Why don't you just bow your heads? And I want to close by reading 2 Timothy chapter 3. Just bow your heads and close your eyes and listen to these words in 2 Timothy and in Matthew. 2 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 5 says, Mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. They will be lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold but the one who stands firm to the end will be safe what is the condition of your faith what is the level of your zeal and passion for God and his kingdom how prepared are you to step up and increase your temperature on the things of God We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 93291777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.